What's going on, man? How's it going? It's going. I got every time I always forget I got to change my name, but uh, I'm say uh, I'm Sam, and uh, usually like I co-host it with two different people, but they couldn't make it, so I asked my buddy Dan uh, from Inked Up Merch to come hang out with us because he's a big horror fan. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, today we welcome Andrew Hawkins. Uh, man, gr- great to have you. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. Awesome um, to be down to talk some horror and chill out. Good to meet you guys. Yes. Uh, Dan, for sure. Totally. So Dan, awesome. uh, you know, so everyone that's listening knows Dan's a return guest, but like, just tell everyone what Inked Up Merch is real quick. Uh, Inked Up Merch, I started as a side business when I was doing screen printing and embroidery uh, back in Long Island. And uh, long story short, uh, here I am years later um, running it as my own business and doing all the conventions do, do, and as a side thing, starting an Etsy shop, doing horror related stuff, uh, mostly headwear. And, you know, cause that was the thing. You always see the t-shirts and whatnot. And I'm sure everyone's used to seeing horror t-shirts. And, and uh, I thought there wasn't a lot of caps at the time. This is 2012. Yeah. So, uh, and that, you know, that's it. And then you do your uh, thing. Yeah. You don't march, yeah. man, get your hats, your beanies. So, um, Andrew, man, uh, just out of curiosity, just, you know, it's such a big thing. Creator VC, um, you guys have had your hands in a lot of documentaries and we're all kind of probably the same age. And uh, I got to say, you guys are like putting together like the ultimate mixtape for, for, for people my age uh, or younger that are, that are like, hey, I don't really know. Even like the In Search of uh, the, the Last Action Hero, um like all the all the stuff is under the same umbrella so how did you like meet up with like robin and um uh the director david is that his name yeah 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 director uh david weiner uh we we got a great team um my thing my background uh has been writing interviews articles uh doing editorials retrospectives all that stuff for about 15 years before i actually started uh, helping produce the documentaries that we're releasing now. Uh, like I had come on to be part of the marketing team for In Search of Darkness. And then I started working that with In Search of Tomorrow, the 80s science fiction documentary that we're doing now. And I just stepped up to be a full-on producer for In Search of Darkness Part 2, uh, coordinating a ton of people, getting a lot of people in for the interviews, getting everything set up and being a part of the creative team. And it was great. And that was kind of the the progression. It was just meeting up with those guys after doing a couple of interviews, talking to Robin, getting a feel for what his ideas were for the direction of creator VC for what in search of darkness and in search of tomorrow and everything after is going to be and uh, jumping on board. I got to say devastating, man. Like just like the, the, it might be 
and we've seen a lot of horror docs. I feel like it it really might be the best horror doc ever. Thank like, you, man. Like it, it might be Dan, right? I uh, I think you know it when when I watched them, um, it pretty much spoke to me as you've seen all the rest. Here's the best, and yeah. and, and, and but, yeah. you know I don't I don't see. I said to Sam, I don't see how it's possible to top these. And this isn't just blowing smoke up your ass. This is I and I love I I appreciate that man. I I love going to pieces. I love like like all the the docs, but there's something about that I love like um uh was the nightmare one, never sleep again. And I feel like uh, that's where like a lot of these started, right? Like just there it was like because you you think to yourself like are people gonna watch like five or six hours? But we are because as soon as we're done with In Search of Darkness one. It's four and a half hours, but the whole time I'm looking at the time going like, man, I only have an hour left, you know, it's uh, it's it's like a trip. So like, how did you did, did you know that it was going to be this long from like the very beginning? Let's say for the first one. Yeah, it, it was part of the development where you get all of these contributors, all of these celebrities, all of these filmmakers, everyone involved talking about making these movies, giving their insights on the ones that not only were they starring in, but also they care about and they feel like has value worth, you know, just like you're saying, Dan, the the best of the best. These are the ones that shouldn't be forgotten. These are the ones that shouldn't be uh, completely discarded and never get releases ever again or never talked about. And there was so much, you know, so going into that mega documentary length format was just inevitable. Uh, and we were actually trying to cut it down for In Search of Darkness Parts 2, but we got pushback. We actually got demand from everyone who is into In Search of Darkness 1 saying, no, I want more of the same. Just put out number two, make it the same length, give me four and a half hours of horror, go through as many movies as you can through each year in the decade and just do it. So we just kind of had to, because we're always listening to the audience, always listening to the community. And we're really uh, using that as a driving force. Yeah, I mean, you guys are pretty much in tune uh, with, you know, it's such a like interactive thing. Um, I get like you guys have like watch parties and uh, like explain to me like that that community and how that works. Oh, it's great. So everyone who has backed or pledged for In Search of Darkness or In Search of Darkness Part 2 has gotten access to our Discord, which is where we have our core community. And it's all the 80s horror fans for sci-fi. Everyone who's done this for In Search of Tomorrow has gotten access. And we give everyone that priority that when we get stars on, like Lori Cardiel to talk about Day of the Dead, or we get uh, Jeffrey Combs to come on and talk about Reanimator, you know, everyone who's a part of the community, everyone who's backed and bought a copy of In Search of Darkness gets to ask the questions that we ask the celebrities and the stars. So we're always having the conversation going with the group. We're always sharing stuff. Everyone gets the first exclusives on clips and cast announcements and updates with the different films. And that's how we keep it going. But we have some awesome people who are a part of that because it's all fan driven. You know, we're all fans of the same stuff. So we just keep the conversation live all the time. And it's great. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. You know, it's like uh, growing up, like going to mom and pop like video stores like it's uh i love the new stuff man i love being able to like you know pull shit from the cloud and i feel like maybe we got the best of both worlds because i remember going to that video store i remember like back in the day like the the best 
job you could have told me would have been uh, working in a video store or a record store. Those are like the two yeah. best. Like you made it to me. Like I'm like, oh shit! Like this guy works at <laughs> fucking you know Galaxy Video. I applied oh. to both and never got the job, man. <laughs> that's, how that, that's how it went back then. But we, I, I got a job for a Hollywood video for a couple of years, but I was oh, like, yeah. man, you know, this is great. I just wish I was working at the mom and pop where I could bring in the bootlegs and the deep cut Italian stuff and have like the curtain with the beads and the X-rated, you know. <laughs> the curtain with the beads. Behind the, yeah, this is where the real horror movies are kept, you know, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. I, I've been I've been to the curtain with the beads and it's a very quiet place where people try not to bump into each other <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but uh there, there's something that i you know i love about it man because like i i even like the movies that didn't really go over well um they just mean so much more now because it, it just i don't know what it is man like you, you watch like like let's say ghoulies like ghoulies for the most part maybe isn't the best movie but it's such a it's like comfort food you know, like you put totally. it on when, whenever like something like, you know, it's like, oh, let me just put on Ghoulies, even if I don't pay attention to the whole thing. And, and that's why I think the decade is, is just so ripe for stuff like that. And, and what I really love, I don't know who's in charge of the production, but um, the way it's formatted, right? Me and Dan were talking about how like it yeah. focuses, like you're like going around and you're looking through the video store and then you focus on that one movie and then that's where it goes. Like, who who came up with that? Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to know the answer to that, man. Yeah, that's David Weiner and our motion graphics guy, uh, who is just awesome, Paul Knish, uh, who's one of our remote team members out of the EU. He is just, like, behind all of those graphics you see when it's panning and going through the video store and everyone always yells at us because the one that it finally settles on isn't always the one everyone wants to see they're like now go to the other one i wanted to see that one yeah, why yeah. are you picking pieces go back but, you know it's great it's always great because you know we, we have a team that is like so focused on bringing the highest quality level of work possible that when those graphics are animated and everything's fit together and you've got those like intro moments where you see all the icons of horror popping out. And I saw oh, one too, all that. So stuff, good. You know, I, I love hearing that people, you know, it's connecting with everyone because it's, it's all the stuff that we're into. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the, all, all like the uh, synth wave stuff too, like that mixture, like all those visuals. Uh, I mean, shit, even the soundtrack, right? Like who the hell's on the yeah new retro wave. Yeah. All Man, that stuff. Those guys like have brought, so many so many great artists to you know be a part of the whole uh discussion in film like i love the nightcrawler track for uh i saw too i love all the stuff that uh weary pines have done uh for the tokyo score. rose so was much good. yeah 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 i love all that stuff like we were talking about like groups like right dan uh like the midnight or like time cop 1983 like Free, it's amazing yeah. how these groups like like, I don't know, like, it's just amazing. Like they recreate something. And if you didn't know that, that some of these songs came out like last year, you, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know, you know, I love it. It just hits such a spot, man. So, um, I, and I will say like, another, God, everyone's on the same wavelength. It's like just this, you know, feel of this era that really hits right. And I listen to a ton of artists who play in that sandbox and make music out of these influences 
that like when you look back on crazy stuff from Giorgio Moroder and like Tangerine Dream and oh, yeah. all these other synth pioneers and guys who like defined the sound of yeah. different, you know, periods of the eighties. Like, I don't know what your thoughts are, Dan, on, you know, some of this music, but like the people who are jumping in on the soundtrack, who new Retrowave has brought to the table, they've added a whole another level and layer of how good everything is. It, yeah. yeah, no, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, it, ju it just adds to, to it. Um, the whole experience, we're music guys. So, like, we, I still play in bands. Dan, you know, used to play in bands. Probably, you know, if, if we asked him to play bass, he will. So, I think you played, too, didn't you? Aren't, weren't you a musician, Andrew? Yeah, yeah. I've been a guitar guy for forever. Uh, I started off just, you know, messing around on the piano at the grandparents' house, trying to recreate music from, like, Jerry Goldsmith score for the Omen and the ah. Superman theme and okay. shit like that. And then, yeah. you know, I, I graduated into playing in a uh, school band for a little bit. You know, I was uh, borrowing my aunt's leftover clarinet from her days in the seventies. And it was just garbage woodwind learning basic nonsense. But <laughs> then I went straight into electric guitar, started doing a bunch of music covering bands like Primus and okay, cool. uh, you know, uh, Misfits and yeah, uh, just, yeah, playing like punk and alternative rock and all that stuff in garage bands uh, through the years and still do. And it's still fun. And occasionally I'll go and hang out with friends. Uh, like there's a great group in Atlanta that still do a lot of just sit down studio stuff. And I'll wind up on albums out by like, you know, the Lucky Nightsticks and a uh, handful of other, you know, awesome. just bands that friends have that's basically it but yeah it's always good to you know sit down and just play some guitar for sure yeah it's it's a big part of of life music and movies and art um it's funny you mentioned yeah. Tanger tangerine dream and for uh in search of tomorrow you're talking to someone who i'm very friendly with on facebook and had him on the show steve Dejarnat. So yes he did cherry 2000 but he also had i think tangerine dream on uh miracle mile Mm -hmm. which is like one of my fit. Yo, I tell people about yeah. Miracle Mile all the time. Why is it you think like no one saw it? Like, I feel like I'm like preaching to like, no, like, you know, like it's like the one person that I find that loves Miracle Mile, they love it. But from there, it's like no one really heard of it. So that movie is devastating. I don't know if it totally. just like is too much for some people or it was one of those that, they had to like not make too mainstream just because of how I don't want to say nihilistic it is at the end, but it like, is. it's, it's so finite and like futile that like all your best efforts are still going to wind up. You're sinking in a crashed helicopter and oh. the tar pits. Like, what are you going to do? You know, but I love that movie and how many people show up in it. You know, it's like this cast of awesome character. Actors Denise Crosby. From yeah, yeah, totally. Like, it's nuts. And yeah, that music with uh, Tangerine Dream that Paul Haslinger uh, was a part of, uh, that was that era. Uh, that score is awesome. I yeah. mean, it's, it's a great movie that definitely needs some more love. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to me, like I told him that it, it was like one of the most devastating movies in my life because I watched it when I was like 10 or 11 and it was the first time that I saw an ending like that. And I realized that like shit don't happen like commando, you know, like yeah. I was like, yo, I love commando and this is so cool. And, and this is exactly what's going to happen. And then you like, I'm 10 or 11 and I watched miracle mile and like, I think people are going to not drop a nuclear bomb on us and people go crazy. It just fucking, 
it really messed me up to the point where like when I when I friended him on Facebook, he was so fucking nice, man. Uh, yeah, Steve DeJournette's awesome. Oh, he's so cool. So yeah, it's cool. You guys are going to have him on for uh, uh, Cherry 2000, which is another weird movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, that one for me, I mean, you know, who doesn't love Tim Thomerson? And he yes. plays some <laughs> fun moments in that as the, uh, the main heavy. But I'm a fan of, you know, uh, Wasteland post-apocalyptic stuff. Uh, Cherry 2000 has a great blend of that kind of 80s futuristic sci-fi look and then just straight up going out to the desert and everything's just done. Like yeah. post fallout, nuclear Vegas, all that stuff, them going on the journey to try and find the, uh, uh, fembot. Yeah. Replacement for cherry who gets uh, fried because of the uh, dishwasher. I mean, that movie's got some great moments in it. And again, awesome character actors showing up like Brian James, Robert Zadar. Zadar, yeah, Zadar you know, was in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, threw, he yeah, Zadar, man. Fucking that's another like um I know in in part 2, uh In Search of Darkness 2, you guys covered Maniac Cop, which I fucking yeah. love that series. Uh, I think Bill Lustig, you know, with fucking Larry Cohen, uh I mean like what a great series that is, right? Yeah, yeah. And one of my favorite moments from what we've done with the community and all the watch parties and all of the engagement that we've done with everyone who's been a part of In Search of Darkness, we had Bill Lustig on for a watch party with us. And we were enjoying talking to him about Maniac Cop, and it was a total blast. We also had uh, William Penn, who is of Penland Empire, a great uh, site for awesome podcasts and reviews and stuff. But when Bill Lustig was talking to us about working with Robert Zadar and he grabbed one of the head molds of the Maniac Cop makeup that had been cast from Robert Zadar's head and just showed it off to everyone on camera and was like, ah, check him out. Yeah. It was the best, you know, yeah. it was just so cool. Yeah, I love I, it. I love I, it. I saw him. Uh, so they, I went to in Brooklyn. Brooklyn has Nighthawk cinemas and, and they had a, a showing of Maniac Cop. And then, you know, nice. Lustig was there. He did a Q&A and I asked him, I'm like, what is your favorite movie that you ever made? And it was the same one that's my favorite, which is Maniac Cop 2. I think yeah. Maniac Cop, it's so good, right? Like how the fuck, like it's just like this action horror movie. Bruce Campbell gets it within the first like five minutes <laughs> of the movie, <laughs> but it's just so great, man. I, I One and three are cool, but two is just like uh like like a complete home home run for him so um well there's a reason too why uh that company cavity colors when they did a shirt for mania cop it was for mania cop too you know they, they oh. uh i don't know if ever i'm sure you guys are both familiar with cavity Colors. yeah yeah for sure oh yeah of course yeah. i don't know the story of why they put a mania cop 2 graphic on a mania cop shirt that's right i didn't even think of that and i have that shirt i never thought about that till now that's great yeah i, I guess all licensing type stuff but um but uh i agree i mean i, I, I mean i cop 2 is definitely the best of the series I, I, do 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 you stand by sam and i's opinion or oh, you, hell yeah okay. oh man when we're talking about that uh huge finale inside of the uh prison uh and you've got everything on fire and uh robert's just barreling through 
and the main guy who's kind of been idolizing him through the whole thing uh winds up sort of turning in the bus and like all the moments in maniac cop 2 i mean it's just like one home run after another all the way to the end it's a and blast to watch leo rossi man you know yeah Ama- leo rossi amazing grace come sit on my face <laughs> <laughs> that will always be you know like between that and the fact that he just wrote the new john Gotti movie i think that's pretty funny yeah. Um, the level of sleaze he brings to that character. I mean, yeah. he's just like, yeah, great through the whole thing. Yeah. Well, he just re- relentless. Oh, God. I was going to say, uh, you know, Andrew, you know, you speaking with Bill, re- excuse me, recently, did yeah. he happen to bring up this? Well, from what I've heard, what I've seen on, on Letterboxd, the, doing a remake of, of his original film. Did he, he bring didn't, that he up didn't talk about uh, any remake coming or anything like that. I mean, I know there was the remake of Maniac, but as for another Maniac cop coming, uh, no word. You know, if there is, sure, it'd be great to see it pulled off well, but nothing's going to beat the classics. No, 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 absolutely not. But this thing, I, the, the strange thing was I heard Lustig was behind it. Yeah, yeah so it, was, it, was, it was an HBO series. That's what it was. Oh, yeah, the one with uh, Nicholas Weiner Griffin. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So, that might I- be happening. We'll see. I'm I'm into that. I like the episodic thing now. You know, I feel like uh, movies are cool. Movies will always be cool. But I I really do appreciate like, um, you know, the episodic thing, you know, and to to stick with the 80s vibe. The fact that like Cobra Kai was even a thing. I love that. I love that. Basically, they 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 took this story and they they expanded it so much. You know, it's like I I wish they would do that for stuff like uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Or like, you know, something that, that, you know, like that would be cool. It's like, okay, let's give these 10 episodes to see where these characters are now. Um, yeah, who knew that, uh, you know, Karate Kid was going to be huge 35 years later. More than just the original classic movies. Like Cobra Kai was kind of a sensation for a few seasons. It's wild. Well, it, it's it's the the magic of Netflix. Because on, mm-hmm. on YouTube Red, it did not, like, people were like, oh, that's cool. I'm not going to watch it, though. But yeah. like once like once like Netflix picked it up, it's just like on that big stage, you know, where it's like, OK, now everyone's going to watch it. Everyone's going to share it on, on Facebook. And uh, but uh, I, I got to say, from the first movie uh, in Search of Darkness, one of my favorite things was the um, shirt, a Deborah Hill production shirt. I, yeah. lo- I loved it so much. And I mentioned it. My girlfriend's great. And I was like, I love that shirt. And like uh, like a month later, like I had a package and she ordered me that shirt. And I was like, oh, that's shit. awesome. Yeah, it was a very cool. So um, yeah, Deborah Hill, I mean, her story is one that shouldn't be forgotten. You know, she's done so much, not only for like John Carpenter fans, but yeah, as a producer throughout the 80s and everything that she touched. I mean, it's just really important, I think. And a lot of the other contributors think to remember stuff like that, because when we're talking about, you know, incredible people who are part of the filmmaking teams and ones who were taken away from us too early because of illness and stuff like that. Uh, Deborah Hill is for sure one of those figures that like everything she did was just awesome. And yeah. we got to remember that totally. Oh, yeah. without, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, Dan? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, one of the things we were uh, talking about, Sam and I, uh, about we thought would be fun was, was to, you know, kind of ask, ask some fun, fun questions. Yeah. Um, Related to like uh, the breakdown of In Search of Darkness, uh, particularly part one was 
was uh was was on my to do here and um you know we definitely agreed how how, how great great it was how the the layout so that you start you know obviously you put in chronological order but but going through it brought up these like sub plots or sub genres related to the to 80s horror so we wanted to you know touch on on some of that um starting with which was the first one which was the home video revolution yeah um what do you think brought back the boom in collecting vhs is it just a fad um is it to reserve the, or is it you know to preserve this type of media um if if you are a collector yourself what's your most sought out tar tape out there these days yeah, for me, uh, it's a personal tape that was one of my first horror tapes that I ever got from one of the mom and pop shops that I used to go to when I was a kid. And I've got a great story behind it because it was like coveted and I had wanted it for years but couldn't get it. Awesome. It was Lucio Fulci's City of the Living Dead. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And there was an alternate uh, tape cover from Paragon Video and it was The Gates of Hell. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I finally tracked it down after really reading up on Fulci and like Fangoria and a couple other things. It was around the time that Tarantino had gotten the U.S. distribution rights for the Beyond to be able to show it in L.A. Uh, and it was just like, I need to check this out. I need to see the maggot bath that happens with like Catriona McCall and the rest of the characters when they're just getting sprayed for like five minutes straight. And there was so much that it was like, I've never seen anything like this. I've never read anything about anything like this. I got to check this out. And when I finally got the tape, it had, of course, that little styrofoam packing yeah. in the sleeve. So yeah, it wouldn't yeah. like collapse from being on the shelf. I pull the styrofoam out and there's a maggot right on the top of it, just wiggling Aww. from being stuck inside of the tape. And I'm like, no way. So that's like the one that's always going to be a favorite for me, yeah. always going to be my number one, you know, just the craziest coincidence. That's, that was um, meant to be. Yeah. Something. Shout, yeah, shout yeah. out. Yeah. Shout, <laughs> shout, somebody really knew. Somebody was like, I got to just take a maggot and put it in here just for whoever gets it because they're going to fucking know. Oh, my God. That's great. Just the wildest thing in the world. And then, you know, it became like, one of those things where I got to study up on the Gates of Hell trilogy. I got to watch House by the Cemetery. I got to get the Beyond uh, Grindhouse DVD, you know, tin that came out in like the early 2000s and like always expand on my knowledge of Fulci and my interest in Italian horror and all that stuff. Uh, and why people collect VHS is something that I think has just happened because so many tapes have never gotten transferred over to DVD or transferred over to Bluer, you know, wound up on YouTube uh, or digital. I mean, I had a conversation with Jed Shepard just the other week. We had him on for one of our clip show Q and A's that we do where we get guests on and they talk about 10 of their favorite 80s horror movies oh, and we awesome. show moments. Yeah, yeah. And he talked about some awesome stuff like everything from uh, street trash to, uh, one of the um, <laughs> guinea pig movies, number six, Mermaid in a Manhole. I mean, he was going for deep cuts. That's pretty deep. But yeah, he's got like two storage units full of nothing but tapes. 
and then rooms in his house just stacked to the ceiling of tapes that he's collected over the years in the UK because there's that whole element too of like different regions in the world have things like the video nasty list and banned movies and shit that you can get arrested for if you own a copy or you distribute a copy. So with all that knowledge, with everything that, you know, we have access to these days, people are digging that deep and they're trying to find stuff on tapes like EPKs that have never wound up on DVD releases or things like that. One for me, that's an example. There was a great release of Creepshow 2 that had like a 10 minute featurette of Day of the Dead on it. And it like immediately right out of the gate started with roads getting torn in half. And then it had Stephen King and George Romero talking about the making of the film and some other stuff. And uh, of course, like Greg Nicotero and everyone behind the scenes doing the effects. And I've never seen that on a single release since. Yeah, I never even heard of it. That's great. Yeah. I love, I just recently, um, I've been watching a lot of Creepshow 2 for some reason. Um, usually nice. I go back and watch one, but like lately I watched two because I feel like I have like a new appreciation for it. You know, there was only the three stories. Um, and I feel like you need to go into that, that, that young mind state to watch it. Cause you know, some like if you watch it for the first time and you see chief Woodenhead and you're like, this is kind of dumb, but like when you just go past that and embrace it for what it is, it's so cool, man. And the raft is amazing. And then the, very, yeah. yeah, like the very last one, the hitchhiker, when you think of like, just accidentally hitting someone with a car and just that he'll never leave you alone like that's fucking terrifying now you know because we all drive now like back then i'm watching it as a kid i'm like this is cool but like now as an adult you know so i i go back to that one a lot i i'm, I'm a big fan of that one and i think it was featured on uh, in search of darkness too right yeah yeah in search of darkness too has a, a little moment talking about uh creep show too uh, and we may expand on that for in search of darkness three that's something that we're paying attention to right now <laughs> where crazy. Yeah, yeah people have been letting us know, you know, I want to see this in ISOD 3. I want to hear this subject talked about in In Search of Darkness 3. I want to see this uh, favorite 80s horror icon come in and join the cast of interviews. Uh, but talking about Creepshow 2, you just reminded me that movie has one of my favorite on-camera Stephen King moments in any horror film, let alone any film that he's ever shown up in and it's just hilarious when he jumps out of the semi-truck and sees the guy who's been run over and just goes what the fuck happened yeah. <laughs> and it's great it's just a great Stephen King cameo moment and I love it but even the uh animated wraparound I for love the it film great. is great you know they eat meat I mean, yeah. you, you can't not, you know, say that there isn't a sense of charm to that. Who didn't uh, want? Who didn't want a Venus flytrap after that? Like I'm like, yeah, you know, you go to the back. Get I'm all like, the bullies. Yeah. yeah like, I, I, you can get this, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and, but yeah, I uh, that also reminds me. Uh, you guys went into the the real ending of Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, we did. Never knew yeah. that. And yesterday I watched it. And I was like, yo, this is fucking crazy. This is so much better than the original <laughs> ending, right? Just talk about that then. Uh, the plan apocalypse, that was something that, you know, 
adding Little Shop of Horrors to the conversation for iconic 80s horror is something that is an interesting part of the whole discussion because not everyone automatically registers Little Shop of Horrors as like a, a hardcore horror movie. And in many ways, you know, it's a blend of genres. I mean, it's got all the musical stuff. It's got all the stage stuff integrated into it from the play. It's got all the comedy, but you know, when you break it down into including it as one that should definitely be on the shelf in the video store and the horror genre, uh, if you choose to throw it in there, it absolutely is a great thing to, you know, just be included. But that, that ending is so big and so wild. And it is just like the apocalypse of killer uh, Venus flytrap plants devouring people in like subway cars, like, you know, just barreling through the city. And gorgeous, it's just gorgeous. So well done. I mean, the effects are like amazing. And I don't know, I would say it deserves like the Night of the Creeps treatment where you've got the director's cut with that on the end uh, and then the theatrical cut with the uh, original ending that we all knew growing up. But yeah, it's uh, it's really cool that we were able to include that because a lot of people have said the same thing. Like, I had no idea. I had no and idea. And it's like mind blowing. Yeah. So we, we, we've done, so we've done like uh, screenings through the podcast. We would get like, you know, like my friend ha uh, was in charge of a theater and, and we showed that movie because I, I love it that much. You know, I, I still nice. remember all those fucking songs. <laughs> Every one. I, I just, they're I, like, great. I, they're yeah, so good. Skid they're Rebel, so good. all that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so just to, to kind of finish up, because I, I did want to talk about um, In Search of Tomorrow, which is like the main thing. Um, uh, you talked about um, um, Giallo's in the second one. And me and Dan were talking about how we're kind of not like hip to them like i know tenebrae but i don't really know too much of that genre if you could just talk about like five must-sees as a fan because i know you're a big italian fan yeah of course um so giallo I, I definitely uh have to say that some of the best ones uh aren't just like restricted to the 80s that i'm gonna mention i mean there are mm -hmm. ones in the 70s that are just fucking amazing uh and the thing is that it was really, really great to have uh, one of my favorite stars from Italian horror, Giretta Giretta, included yeah. in In Search of awesome. Darkness too. Yeah, she's yeah you guys like yeah. seeing her on screen? Yeah, 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 yeah. She's great, man. She's she awesome. Great. She De just, no holding, <laughs> no holding back, you know, just like, yeah. I, I really, uh, she has, she comes up with such respect for the Italian horror you know, like just backing it to, to the umph degree. Um, that was a surprise getting her out. You know, uh, I, I, over the last, you know, like Sam said, I, I actually have been diving in just coincidentally the last few years more into Giallo. And uh, um, I definitely agree. The seventies is, is seems to be the big error, but um, I'd love to hear more. Uh, I'm sure you have more, more to say about it than I do. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I'm totally right there with you because the 70s is like really what laid the framework for the genre. And that's where we get the real uh, core of what Jalo wound up being with, of course, you know, the Black Glove Killer, uh, the vibrant, dynamic cinematography and lighting, everything that Argento really took from Mario Bava 
and the understanding of how to frame the art of the kill and structure a film like this that's so rooted in mystery of what's really going on while everyone's being picked off. Uh, it's interesting to like compare Jalo to like slasher movies uh, where, you know, so many of the most popular favorites in the slasher genre, you know who the killer is. Uh, unless there's that element of mystery to it. And there are some crossover films that definitely ride the line between both. But Jalo has this really cool aspect to it that I love, where it's just the unraveling of the whodunit in a lot of ways. And for real standouts, I mean, Sam, you already mentioned one, Tenebrae is one of my all-time favorites yeah. uh, from Argento. That movie has such a great uh, plot that develops. And, you know, if you want to call the ending a twist... Uh, or if you pick up the pieces and kind of figure out, you know, what it's going to be, it just delivers on every yeah. level. But uh, 70s wise, you know, talking about Baba again, Blood and Black Lace is one of my all time favorites. Uh, that movie is just excellent. And then they kind of consider that one. I was speaking with an, uh, a fellow friend, also a big horror guy. Yeah. Uh, do you a lot of people kind of uh, recognize that one as like the beginning of giallo did you do you agree or disagree or where do you, what's your stance on that i think it's definitely an origin point uh there are some movies that bava had done around that time as well that really do have a kind of feel to it like um uh bay of blood is one uh that you know is right around the same time um but doesn't have all of the tropes and the aesthetics that giallo would be the most well known for uh, that really, you know, the foundations were laid in Blood and Black Lace. Um, but all around, it's one that's just an absolute must-see, yeah. uh, just even for film fans. Uh, and then yeah. some additional ones uh, that are just fun, you know, uh, personal preference ones that I enjoy. I love some of the ones that Fulci did, like Murder Rock, that Jaretta's in. Uh, that one's a blast. It's a lot I of fun. I didn't know any... Uh, see that's one of the things i think we haven't even touched on on this on this search of darkness is you could be the most hardcore horror fan and there's gonna be some films touched on here that you've never heard of and that was one i immediately went to my letterbox hit pause went to my letterbox and put it right into <laughs> into my watch list oh yeah you know because if there's anything on this that's gonna be mentioned that i've never heard of i know it's gonna be good so that's 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 the beauty for sure i and, yeah. and i love uh so for me it was uh opera because yes. what I, what oh, I yeah. what I love about opera the, the opera segment is John Carpenter was talking about Prince of Darkness and he said that that was like his main influence for that movie and I was like oh shit like I got to I, I got to watch opera yeah I, I, I didn't know his love I mean again yeah again just finding out I, that that coming out of John Carpenter's mouth was very I mean it was it was just very bizarre not like in a bad way just like the last thing you would expect yeah and he's yeah, like absolutely. he's like he's the humble goat right he's like yeah. the greatest <laughs> but he's just like to him he's like ah, i don't know whatever like you know this didn't work out that didn't work out but it's just like but you're like you're the goat like you're you're the guy <laughs> and it's it's wild too because you don't think that you know he has major influences yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. like that you know he, he always talks about being a huge fan of john ford movies and being a great fan of like the thing from another world and Howard Hawks films. But to hear him say that Argento was huge to him and taking inspiration and influence from 
uh, opera and Inferno, you know, it's crazy. And then you think about it and you go back and rewatch something like Big Trouble in Little China and you see the hell of being hung upside down and drowned and you just connect the dots and you're like, holy shit. And his interview was so great because, you know, he brought that to the table just in discussion. You know, he wasn't prompted. Uh, we wanted to have him talk about everything that he had done and then some of his favorites. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm a huge Argento fan. And it was just mind blowing. And when we were able to share that with everyone, that's exactly the feedback we've been getting was like, OK, now I need to watch everything Argento ever did because John Carpenter says so. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I mean, really, that's what this show is, too. Like whenever we have someone on, like it's such a big deal for us to talk influences because I like where what we absorb and what comes out from that you know uh, um f from that you know it's like i i said it's like you modest mouse love the pixies but they don't sound like the pixies yeah. you know what i'm saying so i love that stuff totally. uh anything else on the giallo andrew or not yeah uh a couple more definitely uh one of argento's earliest uh i always recommend bird with the crystal plumage yes and that one is just like the breakout for him. Uh, Profundo Rosso is amazing. I absolutely love that movie and it's got some of the best work he ever did in it. But for early stuff, uh, Bird of the Crystal Plumage is absolutely a must see to watch Argento really like cutting his teeth into Jallo, taking all of his influences and doing work that wound up paving the way for him to be one of the greatest directors of all time, for sure. Uh, and then another one from Fulci, uh, Lizard and Woman Skin. Uh, it's got some incredible surreal elements to it. It's got some uh, really wild twists. Uh, the stocking element is a little bit lighter than the majority of the best standout Jalos, but it's one that really falls into a unique, uh, you know, entry in the genre so i always say you know if you haven't seen lizard and woman skin check it out and it's always good very cool yeah awesome yeah schooling us and dropping that dropping some gems on us um trying <laughs> i don't you know i i don't want to take up too much of your time but i know we have to talk about uh in search of tomorrow so just give us yeah man. let's let's talk about how that came about you know especially from you get the action the 80 like, actually it's beyond 80s action that fucking action in search of the last action hero is so good. Like shout out to all, all them dudes on there. Uh, then you get the, the two darkness movies. Uh, so what brings us to sci-fi, which is the obvious stuff, of course. Yeah. Well, uh, the first thing I'll say is if you like watching in search of darkness and in search of darkness part two, and you're a fan of sci-fi movies, you know, get ready. That's what in search of tomorrow is going to be. Uh, very similar in formatting, very similar in structure and how we present these films and these speakers talking about being a part of these movies and giving their insights and telling their stories. And that includes going year to year and having those intercut chapters between each year where we really dig into different subjects, just like you guys were talking about with VHS and everything else that we have included. But In Search of Tomorrow is really for me the stuff that I watch during the day like all day I would be watching you know HBO or tapes or whatever cable and it would be Metal Storm it would be Cherry 2000 it would be Star Trek movies Star Wars movies it would be all that stuff and yeah. then Nightfall 
go straight to horror, put on Skinamax, put on all the, you know, Halloween tapes, put on Friday and Nightmare and all that stuff. But within Search Tomorrow, we're bringing the exact same level of quality and interest and focus and love for these movies. And it's exactly what it is, is it's a celebration of 80s sci-fi. It's the definitive retrospective of 80s sci-fi movies. And we're doing it the same way we did it with In Search of Darkness, where it's like an index of the best stuff that we're here to feature throughout the decade in the genre. So it's going to be a blast. Uh, now, what are some movies that you cover in that that, that you that got you extra excited? Yeah, uh, well, I'm, I'm always banging the drum for uh, the, the good like deep cut uh again talking about post-apocalyptic kind of wasteland sci-fi like that uh i am always shooting for a discussion on you know road warrior and one thing that was great was if you like seeing vernon wells talking in in search of last action heroes he's in in search of tomorrow talking about playing wes and just working with george miller and doing the thing and being one of the most iconic badasses of, uh, you know, the, the whole era. Um, it's great. But also, you know, stuff like Flight of the Navigator. Oh, uh, totally. That's, yeah. Yeah. One of those movies for me that was just huge. And everything from Alan Silvestri's score to the amazing effects, the blend of practical and what they could do with digital. And talking about that too, Tron, you know, yeah. the fact yeah. that we've got Bruce Boxleitner himself to come in and talk about being Tron was one that was just like huge for me. You know, I just think back to like growing up, being a fan of these movies, just watch them all the time. I'm loving them and it's great. And another one, you know, just off the top of my head, thinking about it, Walter Cannon coming on and talking about being Chekhov and the iconic moment in uh, Wrath of Khan with the earwig and everything. There's just, you know, so much that I can dig into, but it's like, Man, it's crazy to try to compress four and a half hours of greatness into a couple minutes of talking. Uh, no, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I love like, man, I, I remember going to see Star Trek four in the theaters, too, because I was probably yeah. just an old enough to go. And, uh, you know, the punk rocker on, on the bus, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, like like Spock fucking, you know, puts him to sleep and stuff. Another really cool one that you guys cover is The Last Starfighter. Yes. I always love that plot. I love Lance Guest. You know, you, you get him from uh, Halloween 2, speaking of Leo Rossi again. But just the, the, the plot of The Last Starfighter is so cool, right? Like, it's just like a video game, but it's kind of like a recruitment. Like, that's it's pretty genius. Yeah, it's one of those classics for me. Like, just talking about, you know, growing up loving stuff. I was all about movies and games and music and art and books. And uh, Last Starfighter is just such a great blend of that love for, you know, the arcade era and the whole idea of going and playing a space shooter arcade game and then getting recruited to become a galactic, you know, starfighter. I mean, there's just so much to it, but the fact that we've got Nick Castle talking about it and we've got uh, not only Lance Guest, but also Catherine Mary Stewart, you know, it's one of those things that I love that we're able to bring all these people and all these contributors together to do these interviews and give their insights on why these movies are great and why we should still love them and just just making them too. 
and just like just like a podcast, which is basically a time capsule conversation. Anytime I hear a podcast, someone talks about an album or a TV show I haven't heard or seen in a while, I'm going to go find that. I'm going to be like, man, I haven't seen Parker Lewis Can't Lose in forever. I got to go find a copy yeah. of that shit. Right. So that's the beauty of something like this. It's like these these movies that we we all love. Um, I feel like, you know, that, that next generation or like just people like us, it's like, man, I haven't seen explorers. Like the other day I posted cause explorers was on Amazon prime and like, yo, everyone was like, like everyone on my thread was like, holy shit. I haven't thought of this movie in a while, but it was just due to that trailer. It was due to the trailer that you guys put out that just gets that, those feelings going. Um, I know Dan has a good Peter Weller story. I know. <laughs> I know Peter Weller is is definitely one of the people talking. Uh, yeah, in, in, yeah. The the interview with Peter Weller was amazing. I cannot wait for everyone to see that. Yeah, that was one of the biggest. Like, we can't believe we got Peter Weller to come in talk about RoboCop, talk about Buckaroo Bonsai, talk about Leviathan. Oh yeah, you know, that's, that's I forgot. just yeah. All right, Dan. Yeah, what, you it, know. Go ahead. So, yeah, you know, I don't know, you know, I understand you can only go so, so deep in the backgrounds with these interviews and, and such. Um, I had such a terrible experience meeting him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I got so quick backstory. In, in, uh, in all fairness, Monster it might have been you. <laughs> it could maybe maybe it was right. uh he, he was a little perturbed he was late to show up to his signing at a monster mania convention and he comes out and the first thing well, this wasn't a bad thing but you know i almost wish i didn't meet him not i don't mean it in a negative way it's my childhood was like robocop yeah. huge they got a huge guy to play him and here comes out peter weller maybe five foot nothing and, and, and it's just like, and, and I'm just, I'm just like, wait, what, wait, that's, this, this is Peter Weller. This is him. That's the and, guy. And, and, this is the guy you know, and I'm online and I get to, uh, you know, there's, of course, there's a guy ahead of me who literally, I think had eight items, you know, uh, to get signed all Robocop. Yeah. So like, oh, come on, man. You know, and you know, it's 50, 50 bucks a pop, whatever. I'm like, man, this guy's. This guy's uh, what, what's this guy do for a living anyway he gets probably goes and resells those items or something yeah, yeah that is true. You know, that's, that's not that's not a bad guess i've had a few guys at uh conventions definitely call uh folks out for stuff like that but yeah not to not to derail yeah i no, might have put peter weller in a little bit of a side there no um so i get he gets to me and someone kind of talked about it and then sure enough i look at the signature and there it was not peter weller Dr. Weller. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Dr. Peter Weller. <laughs> yep. And I was just blown away. I was just blown away. Like, what year was this? This was only at most maybe four years ago. Okay. Maybe. Um, and, and, you know, it, it was just, I don't know. It was just kind of like, I, I, you couldn't just write Peter. Peter Weller, like, like, you know, I, I guess, um, and it just kind of, and, and please, by all means, correct me, you know, with this, um, it just came off to me, like, his vibe wasn't very into it, um, like, RoboCop was past him, but, by all means, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, it's, 
it seems like he talked about not just Robocop, but like all his sci-fi films. So they come up pretty genuine. Yeah, yeah, he did. He, he was great. Uh, he was one of those guys who was really sincere and really honest about doing the movies. Uh, he's talked about Robocop and many different venues, whether it's, you know, doing Q and A's before screenings of the film or okay. doing panels. Uh, and everyone's got a bad day. And I always Absolutely. hate to hear it, you know, when someone has a bad experience talking to icons and idols and all that stuff. But what he was able to give to us uh, really adds some interesting stuff to the conversation, because not only is he talking about his movies, he's talking about the value of sci-fi and looking back at this era and why we should give it attention and what the whole big picture is. So he's got you know, some really, really cool stuff that everyone's going to love for sure. And, you know, uh, the, the best goal that we have is that everyone just watches it and loves it. You know, that's uh, what we all want to do because we're having fun making it. We're having fun sharing it with everyone. We're putting out clips every day yeah. of all of the progress. And I love that's it. one of the big things. I love those clips. What, so so how how long? Like what's like um, what's 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 the rollout for this movie? Yeah, we're looking at a December release this okay. year. Originally, we were planning on a July release, and then we wound up having to take into account everything going on with the pandemic for the last year, which really just comes down to people needing delays, people uh, requiring different uh, safety precautions. Uh, I'm not going to you know, dig into anybody's specific needs or anything like that, but I will say uh, I'm very thankful that we got our interview with Jesse, the body Ventura. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's former a good one. governor, <laughs> governor, Jesse Ventura. Uh, we definitely had to make sure we were very cautious and very aware of safety precautions and uh, making sure that everyone was all good to go. Uh, and it was great. You know, we just did what we had to do. And that's exactly what we bring to every single part of the production. When we get an interview, we do, all of those uh, requirements. So everyone's having a good time, comfortable and doesn't have to worry about anything. But you know, with all of those delays and every bit of that catering to what was going on with the health crisis and uh, that in mind, you know, we just made sure that everyone was aware, hey, you're still getting it in 2021. And you're just gonna get it for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and, and um, there hasn't been like an actual screening of this documentary uh, of like any of these, right? Like, like in a movie theater. No, there, there has been. Yeah. No, the very, been? yeah. The very first uh, uh, world premiere screening of oh. in search of darkness was at beyond fest. Oh. And that was in 2019 uh, where we had an awesome panel and Q and a with Barbara Crampton and Mick Garris and Brian Yuzna and Kelly Maroney oh. and Caroline Williams Everyone, everyone. Uh, yeah, it was wild too because you know we're premiering in Search of Darkness at Beyond Fest at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood, and we're following up a triple screening marathon of Tom Atkins movies. Oh, and it was just like Halloween three and Night of the Creeps and oh. The Fog, oh. and everyone was like. Ah, Tom Adkins. And, yeah. you know, he's passing through while everyone's going in and we've got a line around the block getting ready for In Search of Darkness. And it's just like the best day possible wow. that you could ever imagine, because there could not have been a better like build up for the audience that stayed through the entire day 
where they got to watch three Tom Atkins classics and then got to see him on screen for talking about everything and in search of darkness it was just like everything lined up and was perfect and the Q&A with everyone on stage was just awesome uh yeah I know you know my executive producer CEO Robin Block and uh my director David Wire they talk about it being one of the best days of their lives I uh, can do this something with in search of uh, tomorrow so you know we'll get the word out with whatever we can if there's a way to do a in theater premiere and a, and a big thing. Yeah. We got to do New York. Let me know <laughs> yeah, yeah. for sure. Definitely. Love to. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, uh, man, Brian using it. It's funny. We had him on and, uh, I, I try to, he's another dude that I tried to explain, like, you know, when, when he said he would do it, I told my girlfriend and I was like, you don't understand. I'm like, yo, this is like, uh, it's Brian. You like, you know, she's like eight years younger. So she didn't really get it. I was like, yo, I'm like the dentist. And she's like, I remember that movie, <laughs> you know, because it, I don't know what, yeah. it, what it like. He is just such a like, I don't know, man. I was it was such a trip to talk to him. I feel like he's very underrated. Um, I feel like it, so you have Sarah Douglas. She's on. Yes. Um, so she was in, in uh, Superman, two. Um, and then she was also in Return of the Living Dead 3, which I feel yep. as, I, as I get older. Sam's favorite. Yeah, well, <laughs> I love one. One's always going to be the goat. But like for some reason, now that I watch three, like it's it hits so good. I mean, do you are you a fan of that movie? I am. I am actually. And that's a part of the conversation, too. Uh, someone was uh, talking about just when we were all celebrating the release of In Search of Darkness Part 2 on Shudder. You guys need to get to 90s. And I shared yeah. a picture of Miranda in the whole gear oh, and man. was like, it's going to be awesome. So yeah, Return of Living Dead 3 was one of those for me that was always on like late night cable uh, right there with Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth and Phantasm 3, Lord of the Dead. I mean, for me, when you get into early 90s, you got a lot of sequels, even like warlock to the armageddon uh that all kind of have this unique vibe to them and i like it i like return of the living dead 3 a lot i think it's one that you know some people have tried to say oh yeah it's nothing compared to the original and wow. no it's not totally yeah. different vibe you know totally uh both of them are awesome party horror movies uh you gotta love you know Linnea and everybody in the first one uh it's just a classic but return of living dead 3 once we're able to feature that when we get past in search of darkness 3 and move on to in search of darkness 90s that's one that i cannot wait Woo! to bring to the table holy shit so okay so so that's in the plan man what a trip right for for someone like you who is like someone like me and dan this is kind of like what you do now, you know, is what, like, what a trip. This is so cool. You're at the ground level and this is like, basically like you're a part of this machine that makes the best documentaries on these subjects. So congrats. Thanks, man. I'm thankful for it every day, you know, yeah. just oh. to be able to do this and to be able to make this stuff happen and bring my side of things to the table. Cause you know, I look at my contributions to in search of darkness too, bringing Jared on, bringing a bunch of the other, uh, celebrity interviews, putting it all together. Probably one of the ones that I will never forget as being one of my favorite things I was able to do for that one was bring on Shinya Sukamoto to talk about Tetsuo the Iron Man. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, our, our very first, you know, 
non-English language interview, uh, our first jump into Japanese horror, one of my all-time favorite movies and one of my all-time favorite directors to have Shinya on board talking about Tetsuo. Uh, that's one that every time I see someone make it all the way to the end of In Search of Darkness 2, and then they go, whoa, I had no idea about Tetsuo seeing Shinya on screen was awesome. Like every time I, I hear that, uh, I always, you know, I love it. Yeah, but you, the yeah. whole the whole thing, you know, it's it's something I'm proud of being a part of for sure. I didn't I didn't really know much of that movie till recently. Joe Bob on the last drive-in showed it. Yeah. And I was just <laughs> perfect like, timing. Yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. It's like I love I just love that that show exists. I, I think he is like Joe Bob Briggs is like yeah. what a cinephile like just that guy i could listen to him and the shit like everything i know my whole life i think 50 percent of it is due to the shit that he came out of his mouth <laughs> like you know I bought, yeah. I bought a mark, he was one I of those guys mark, i used to watch all the time i bought the mach 5 razor on that one episode he, he raved about it i said if joe bob says it's good then it's gotta be a good razor so i bought Hell it. yeah <laughs> um all right yeah listen in, clo in closing i mean dan do you have anything else um yeah, as, as far as in search of tomorrow, um, I guess we should we should mention that the campaign is still up, right? Until yes. the 17th. Going to May 4th. Uh, we May are ending 4th. the campaign yeah. on Star Wars Day. Uh, We're going out with a bang. Uh, people still have the ability to back the campaign on Indiegogo. Uh, get your name in the credits. Uh, if you want to, we have bundle options for associate producer credits, producer credits, and executive producer. But uh, that's the campaign that's live right now on uh, in search of tomorrow indiegogo that's it cool may 4th yeah. i'll put the link up and all that other stuff um andrew whenever this drops man hopefully you come back and we'll talk about that movie so i'd love to anytime this has been great guys awesome thank, thank you. you for doing it thank you so Hi. much Andrew. later man see ya thank you Bye. sam dan bye Take care.